Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are starting a brand new series called Momentum. Momentum. Uh, John Maxwell put momentum this way. He said, it can bless you or curse you. It can be the greatest blessing in your life or it can hold you back. And we're going to find out how do we harness the power of momentum. And I think the first place we got to start is this, is... What is momentum? So, so we got a definition for you. If you want to write it down, we'll put it up here on the screen, and I'll just read it for you. There we go. Uh, this, here's, what, here's what momentum is. The strength or force that allows something to continue or to grow stronger or faster as time passes. Now, for some of us, as we get older, we're going, man, that's not true of our bodies, is it? I mean, like, your body's starting to lose momentum over time. But uh, it is true of lots of other things in life. Um, Trains, for instance, I always hate talking about trains because we got this big train track and thinking about momentum coming through this building just freaks me out a little bit. You know, like one of, some people are thinking about leaving right now going, no, I don't like that idea. Okay, but a train, when it has momentum, here's what we know, and that's why they can be scary, right? They can plow through concrete walls. I mean, not just one, but several concrete walls. It could just plow right through them. That's a train that has momentum. A train that doesn't have momentum, you know, you know, you know how much it takes to stop them? A two-inch block of wood. You can put a two-inch block of wood under a huge train, and it can't get past it when it doesn't have momentum. <laughs> you know, it's true in that in our life too, right? And, and you go, you know, when you're skiing, if you're skiing downhill, man, you got momentum in your favor, right? You're trying to ski uphill. Try it one time, right? You ever had that happen? I mean, me and Wyatt last year went on a double black diamond at Killington, and trust me when I tell you diamonds are rated on the mountain, not on, uh, it's not a standard, you know, okay, so, so you're like, well, I've been down one before, not there, <laughs> and uh, when you fall, you have momentum, you know, what I mean, that's going against you, because now you got to climb all the way back up to get your skis, or f- falling in the woods, and Wyatt was very frustrated by that, but anyway, that's a whole different story for another day, sorry, Wyatt. Sports teams understand momentum, right? Uh, so, several of us are wearing jerseys that our teams didn't win. And our teams lost momentum along the way, right? And, uh, but sports teams will do this. When they see a game going, when you got momentum, what happens? You'll play better when you have momentum, right? I mean, like, it, all of a sudden, it's like it gels and it meshes, and you'd have to be on a sports team to understand it. But it's like all of a sudden, it's like you can't do anything wrong. You're winning and, and you're, you're, you're you know, scoring touchdowns and all this kind of stuff. Or in basketball, you know, you know whatever they do in basketball. <laughs> and what do they do? A coach understands the power of momentum, so right as they're getting ready to go up in basketball, I do understand this, when they get ready to shoot the foul shot, or when you get ready to kick the game-winning field goal, what do you do? You ice them, right? You go, timeout, because I want to break the momentum. And what I want to do here is this, and you're kind of like, what does that got to do with my life? I mean, this doesn't sound very spiritual. It is, right? Because for some of us, you're going, 
I've had momentum in my life before, but right now it doesn't feel that way. Anybody feel like you've kind of lost momentum in your life? Like, like in your, let's say your financial life. Anybody ever had that happen where it's like you were going along good? There you go. Yeah, you got it. And, uh, and so you were going along good, and then all of a sudden it's like it eases off, and now there's some pressure, and it's like now it's kind of going against you, and you're like, how do I get that back? What do I do with that? Or in our relationships, or in our country. Anybody feel like we've kind of lost momentum? That we're not really going in the right direction or, or it's just kind of at a standstill or we don't have that power working for us? How do we, how do, we do that? What, what is God's part in that? And how can I get momentum back in my life but not just get it back in my life but keep it? How could you keep momentum? Is there a way to do that? And I believe that there is. And we're going to take a look at one of the most, in my mind, one of the most powerful stories in the Word of God. Um, I would say that every time, so just so you know. <laughs> but, but in this particular case, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's one of the greatest leaders to study in the Bible. <clears throat> and the man's name is Nehemiah. So it may take a little bit for me to explain, because you're kind of like, well, who is Nehemiah? And for, first service, somebody said, before that video, you should have played Jeremiah was a bullfrog. I don't think he even heard the message. You know, I'm like, it was about Nehemiah, not Jeremiah, okay? And uh, anyway, I don't know what he was doing, but anyway, okay. <laughs> it's really nice to know you communicate well that somebody doesn't even know who you're talking about. So Nehemiah is the, the man that we're talking about today, okay? And it's not to be confused with Jeremiah who came before him. Okay, so, but Nehemiah, just so you can understand who he is, because if you don't understand who he is, you may not recognize how powerful his story is or how much his story is like our lives, a lot of us. A lot of what we're facing, Nehemiah faced. And today we want to take a look, and over the next three weeks we're going to take a look. Now, what I want to say from the onset is this. We can't cover the whole book of Nehemiah. It's only 13 chapters. It's not a long read. You could read the whole book of Nehemiah in the next three weeks. In fact, I recommend that you do because I can't cover all of it, but I'm going to highlight some points that I think God wants to bring out in our lives, and we'll probably come back and revisit this book another time. So, so over the next three weeks, if you don't have a place that you're reading in your quiet time, read the book of Nehemiah. That's 13 chapters. In the Bible, they're not long. I mean, some of them, like today, is 13 verses long. You could read one a day. You could miss a couple days or whatever. But it's a great place to start a quiet time. And you will see an amazing story of a man in the Bible maybe you've never even heard of. Uh, so let me explain where he come from and, and, and why we're looking at him and what he was facing in his life right then. So to understand him, you've got to kind of understand the time period in which he lived. He lived in about 435 B.C., so that's before Christ. He came about 435 years before Christ was, was born. And the time period that he came in was this. The children of Israel, and most of you guys know this part, so I'm going to kind of do a broad brush of Israeli history in about less than five minutes, okay? So, so the way the nation of Israel was established was Abraham was called out of the land of the Chaldeans, and he was called and given a promise that, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Now, that was amazing because Abraham was like 100 years old when God promised him that he would make a great and mighty nation. It's like, well, you're past your child rearing years, but God promised. And God brought him a son of promise who was Isaac. And later on, we know that Messiah came through that line. That's, that's how the nations of the world were blessed. But, but so Abraham was called there, and later on, his descendants, there was a famine. So all of his kids, or his grandkids, went down to Egypt. That's how they ended up in Egypt. Maybe you didn't know that, so now you do. And so over a period of time, as, as his grandson Joseph was able to bless the world through <clears throat> uh, his great-grandson Joseph was able to bless the world because he was able to see a famine was coming, then they forgot about it, and they became slaves in Egypt. And that's where Moses comes in. 400 years after that, Moses came as the deliverer and delivered them from Egypt to the Promised Land. 
Now, I just broad brushed a whole bunch of scripture there, but that's basically Moses' role. And then when he got him to the promised land, this is the part we want to pick up on, then they were able to govern themselves. And you know what? Because they were people of God, they just were blessed, and they never had any more problems from then on out. No, they, they did, because people can't get along, right? And they didn't need a government because they said God will be your government. But they, they couldn't do that, so they messed it all up. And so every time they got in trouble, then God would send a judge to help them out and govern them. And that's where we see Samson and a lot of other judges. And so then at the end of the time of judges, they said, hey, you know what would fix this? If we got more government. <laughs> Anybody think? I'm only saying this because there's a lot of people that think the government is a solution. Just going to tell you, I don't know that that's the case here. And it wasn't for them. They had kings. So they set up these kings. And it was worse than the time of the judges, honestly. And they were more wicked than the judges. And so God sent people called prophets. Now, a lot of people think, that they'll go, John, don't you want to be a prophet? John, I think you're a prophet. And I'm like, there is nothing worse than I would ever want to be than a prophet. If you read what their job was, maybe you don't know what their job was, because you're thinking they get this special word from the Lord, and they do. And you know what the word is? judgment. <laughs> they get to go there and say, you're wrong. God's going to kill you and destroy you. You think that's popular to come to the king, to come to the nation and say, guess what? God said, if you don't stop this, he's going to come in and decimate all of you. You know what he's going to do? He's going to kill you and your whole family. <laughs> you know what I mean? These kinds of things. You're like, I don't want to be a prophet. That's horrible. Who wants to bring that news? And so for years, for for over a hundred years, God kept sending prophets to say, change what you're doing. Please stop doing that. And if you don't stop doing it, I'm going to raise up other nations, and they're going to come and destroy you. And, and in fact, they did. Um, and the first wave of that was th- that they would come. They came down to the ten northern tribes. They took them into captivity, and the ten northern tribes have never been heard of again. Um, after that, the, the southern kingdom lasted a little bit longer because they had a couple of good kings, like maybe three. <laughs> Out of all the kings they ever had, they only had like three good ones. And so God still blessed them for a while, and then finally he sent the greatest nation on earth at the time, which was Babylon, that came under King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful kings that's ever lived. And Nebuchadnezzar was ruthless, and he came, and in the first wave, he took some of them, and this is just some history just for you to know. He took the first wave, he just came and took some of the young people to be his advisors. So he took Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and some of those, and he took them off into captivity. Then he came back the second time because they didn't do what he asked them to do, and he just decimated their walls, grabbed them all, took them into slavery, and they were slaves for 70 years. Now, not all of it was under Babylon, because Babylon, empires of the world rise and fall. It's kind of a misnomer to say that Babylon went away. It didn't. Babylon today is modern-day Iraq. Um, but the next nation that kind of raised up, and it wasn't that Babylon necessarily went, but it kind of fell as being the number one nation, and then that Persia took over, which is modern-day Iran. And so they came in and took over, and so they got the slaves. So now Daniel doesn't work for Nebuchadnezzar, he works for Persia. And some of the other ones did as well. And we find at the end of that slavery, then, then God did what he promised, and their people cried out, and, he, and the time of judgment was over, and the time of exile was over, and they started to send them back to the promised land. Now that seems like an amazing thing. And that's where we pick up in the life of Nehemiah. He had been part of that exile, or he was born in exile, or whatever happened to him. And somehow, he got in the position as cupbearer of the king of Persia, which was King Artaxerxes. And so he was the cupbearer. Now, I don't know if you know what a cupbearer is, but just so you know, it sounds really cool. (laughs) But your job is to test the food for the king. Meaning, Meaning, there's a lot of people trying to kill the most powerful person in the world. 
And their great plan was, instead of having all this security like we do today, it's very simple. You're just going to eat anything that I eat, and if you die, then I won't eat that, okay, and I'll just replace you. That's your job. You're basically a taste tester for the king. Now, the cool part is I would love that job because I like food, so it would be a great way to die, right? You're eating the best food in the entire world because you get everything the king eats, you get to eat, okay? I love that. (laughs) I would love that job. And then you die happy, right, because you're like, hey, well, I died, but I died eating, so that's pretty good. So I don't want you to think of it as just a cupbearer, okay? Don't think of him as just a taste tester. This is one of the most influential positions in all the world. You want to know why? Because you have the ear of the king. You are with him always. Does that make sense? Whenever he wants, if he gets up at night and wants to eat Cheerios, you know, Nehemiah, come on, you know, I'm eating Cheerios. You wake up. So where, where are you with? You're with him all the time. You get the idea that king might want to have to like that person. You're, you're a hired staff and you're like, I, this person is good at what they do, but I can't stand them. This is not the kind of person you want in that job, right? Because you're like, I have to be with you all the time. I hope you're fun to be around. In this case, I'll just replace you. You know, if the king don't like you, he'll just kill you in Persia. That's what they did. Some of you wish you could do that at your work now, don't you? I mean, I can see the look on your face going, man, that would be awesome. <laughs> doesn't work like that now. <laughs> but it worked like that then. And, uh, and so, so, but he was influential. He was likable. The king liked him. The king listened to his advice. Imagine every time the king ruled on something, this guy's standing next to him. That is an influential position. So think of it more like a cabinet member than it is just a taste tester. And that's the role that Nehemiah had. And now the children of Israel had started to go back to the promised land, and that's where we pick up the story today. I just want to make sure you kind of got an idea of where we're at in history. He's facing a lot of the same things we are today. I don't want you to think that, and the reason why I bring this up is because sometimes you look at a person in the Bible and you pick up the story and you broad brushed a lot of the history behind this person thinking they haven't been touched by anything. So that's easy for them to be blessed because they've always been blessed. Nehemiah lived in a time of exile. The Persian empire was one of the most ruthless and terrible places ever. I could show you pictures of what they did. You you don't want to know. From rape to murder, to all of that that took place on your family because you're slaves and you have no rights in this empire. You understand what I'm saying? So Nehemiah has seen atrocities that we can't even imagine. And I just mentioned some of the milder things. See, It went further than, than you could ever believe. The atrocities that they saw and they cried out to God. And some of you guys, maybe you're not facing the extreme that they are, but you're crying out to God right now going, God, I don't know where you're at in this situation. I don't know where you're at in this area of my life. I don't have, not only do I not have momentum, I don't even have vision anymore. I don't have vision. I did at one time think there was a preferred future, but now I don't even know that that is possible. And if that's you, then I want you to pay attention to his story because it could change your life. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're just going to cover the first chapter today. Nehemiah chapter 1, in verse 1, it says this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now, I want to tell you something about these names that I'm, I'm reading. There's my way of pronouncing them, and then other people might say them different. So here's what I say to that. You know, you can say it my way or you can be wrong. That's up to you. It doesn't matter. So just, I'm saying them right. And maybe you never heard it. Maybe you've never even heard them pronounced this way before. But now you've heard them pronounced correctly. Okay. All right. 
verse 2. Hananiah, one of, one of, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and they questioned them about Jew, Jewish remnants that had survived the exile and, and also about Jerusalem. So you get the idea that, that some of his brothers or some of his kinsmen or whatever had come there, and he got to spend time with them, and he wanted to hear, hey, how's it going? I heard that the exile is over. I heard that people are returning to the homeland. And he's excited because Nehemiah is not just somebody that lives in Persia. He is a devout Jew. He is a devout follower of Jehovah God, and he believes just like Abraham believed. That's what we find with him. And so he's excited because he's going, I may not get to go back, but I am thrilled because I understand that the nation of Israel has the promised one. The Messiah will come through them. And this is very important that they're returned. And I'm hearing that they are, and this is exciting to me, and I want to hear how great it is. You ever had that moment where you thought you're going to ask somebody some news and you think you're going to hear something good? You ever had that happen in your life? And you're really anticipating because you're going, this is awesome. You know, like when the Redskins play the Cowboys and you don't get to watch the game, and you're thinking to yourself, you're looking at Google, did you hear about the game? And you're like, yeah, tell me what happened. Okay. (laughs) Here's what happened, verse verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble. You want to circle that? In great trouble and disgrace. Then they go on to describe it. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. (laughs) Have you ever got news like that? You you ever thought that you were going to get one news like the Redskins are winning? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. It's hard to be a Redskins fan sometimes. But you get the news and it's like, no, they're not. They're losing. You know, and you're like, what? That's small, right? But if you ever had that happen in your life, you, th- you go to check your bank account, you think everything's good, and all of a sudden, boom, in one moment, your whole demeanor changes. In one moment, your world is rocked from, it was supposed to be like this. This is how life was supposed to be. I thought this was, you know what, we've been through the hard time, and now it's time for blessing. Anybody ever had that? And only to be reminded in that moment that, no, it's not. It's in complete trouble. And the very place that you have all your hope in, the walls are being burned down. That ain't what he was expecting. That's not what he was expecting, trust me. He, he, was, he was actually chiding them, basically like, tell me the good news. And they tell him this. And it's like, whoa. Not too encouraging, huh? <laughs> In a message called Momentum, this isn't where you want to start. But can I tell you something? Momentum starts right here. The momentum God wants in your life starts right here. You don't see it, but I do. And I'm telling you, it starts right here. And here's what he goes to do. Verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. You want to circle it? That's emotion. He wept. You know why he wept? You know, he wasn't, you know what, all of these bad things were happening before. You know why he wasn't weeping? Because he didn't know about them. But in this moment, it hit him, this is what's going on. My, the people that I love most, the God's chosen people, I was told that, and I had faith in God, and now my world's been rocked, and they're dying. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt like that about this country lately? It's like you watch the news or you listen to the political stuff or you listen to the direction we're going in and you just weep. Like, 
or maybe you rant. I don't know, whatever you, whichever way you want to put it. But it's like, this is, what, this is where we're going. The greatest nation, this was supposed to be a nation, right? Isn't that what we kind of think? A nation blessed by God? And, and a nation that was founded on some at least values? What is happening to us? That's what was happening to him. It's like his whole world just got rocked. And he's like, that's not what I thought was going to happen. That's not what's supposed to happen. And he wept. And you're going, I don't see what that has to do with momentum. It has everything. It has everything to do with momentum because here's what I know. Momentum starts with discontent. (laughs) Not just discontent, though. Holy discontent. If you leave it with just discontent, you're going to do what I see a lot of people doing right now. You know what they're doing? They're ranting. They're discontent about the right thing, but they're handling the information in the wrong way. And I want you to pay attention to this because this could change everything. You want to get momentum going, pay attention to what God is doing here. The first thing he does, God could have delivered this news differently. He could have went ahead and told him his plan, but he didn't. You know what he did? He hit Nehemiah not with good news. You know what he hit him with? I want you to see something. And he sent these people in Nehemiah's life, and they came along, and they gave him this news, and Nehemiah just went, I, 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 I don't know what to do with this. And tell you, he could have told you how your story is going to end, but he didn't, did he? And you're right in the middle of your story today. Is that right? And God hasn't told you how it's going to end, and you just got your world rocked, and you're going, I don't know what to do with this, and you think it's a bad thing, but God is saying, this is how the vision starts. This is how every great vision starts. And let me tell you something, you don't have momentum without vision. And it starts with holy discontent. If you think about that long enough, it'll make sense to you. Because all of a sudden you'll see, out of the greatest tragedies, out of the greatest problems, comes the greatest vision. I'll give you the greatest one. What we believe as Christians. It's so funny how easily we forget. But our greatest vision comes out of the greatest tragedy the world's ever known. You know what it was? Men turning their backs on God. And God looking at man. And the worst news in the world is the day that it goes, you sinned and now you're separated from God for all eternity. That's the worst news in the world, isn't it? But you know what doesn't make sense? A Christ that dies on the cross without a sinful world. You can't understand the good news until you get the bad news. You get the picture? You can't have the vision without the problem. You can't have a vision to change the world if you don't know it needs to be changed. Right? So as soon as you start to see it, you know what the problem is? We don't do holy discontent. You know what we do? We do discontent. I can't believe you did this. If that's what you're going to do, God, then I'm out. And if that's where you're at, God's calling you back in today. Go, I hear what you're doing. You're handling that in the wrong way. Because you thought that's the killer of momentum, but it's not. It's the start. The greatest tragedy will become the greatest vision the world's ever seen. And Nehemiah had it. Nehemiah was part of one of the greatest visions this world's ever seen. If you grasp what happens in the life of Nehemiah, and you grasp the mission that Nehemiah has, then all of a sudden you'll realize Nehemiah changed the world, not only for them, but for you. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it starts with holy discontent. There's a problem in the world. And if you don't start looking at problems like this, you're never going to change. God wants to change your perspective more than anything else today. Okay. He goes on to say this in verse 4. For some days I mourned 
What I want you to tell you about the book of Nehemiah is this. You see where he says, I. This book is written in first person because this is the personal journals of Nehemiah. I didn't know if you knew that. For some, some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I want you to really look at these words. I want you to circle the word mourn. That's the same thing. I come before God in the state that I'm in. I'm not hiding it. Can I tell you, this is probably important to some Christians because some Christians never weep. They always go to God in some phony facade with some phony prayers that don't mean nothing. And God is going, I wish you would just get real with me. Is that how you feel? Would you express that? I don't need your, and the other thing is, I don't need your perspective on it. What I need is, I need your real emotions. But too many people are trying to hide. Can you imagine if your kids did that? They're hurt and they're devastated and you're going, please talk to me. And they go, no, no, I'm good. I'm so happy. And you see Christians doing it all the time, but you know inside you're like, what? You're not even a real person. God needs real people. God needs people that will come to him and mourn and say, this isn't right. I don't like where this is going. I don't know what to do with this. And weep before God. When's the last time you did that? Maybe it's why you don't have God's vision. Because he's going, I'm not going to say anything else. This is a crazy person, you know. This is a person that, that he, they're not in touch with what's really going on. And when it happens, this next part is equally as important. What you do with that, because if you just stuff it down and you go, well, I mourned, and that caused discontent. Yeah, I got you. But you know what he did? Go back to that slide again, Wyatt. He fasted and he prayed. You know what you do when you fast and pray? We just come out of a season of 21 days of fasting and prayer for the church for three weeks. And the reason you do it is, and here's what a lot of people think. I'm going to go before God and I'm going to tell him what I think. That's not what fasting and prayer is for. You know what fasting and prayer is for? For you to hear from God. You see, there's a problem with prayer where we think we actually instruct God. You think God needs your idea? <laughs> That's kind of hard, isn't it? That's kind of hurts your feelings. It's like that just kind of changes everything about prayer, right? Because doesn't God already know? Yeah. Doesn't God know where I am? Yes, but you need it. You need his word, and it's preparing your heart to him. And as you submit, he'll speak to you. So if you want momentum to go your way, if you want God's vision, if you want to know what you do when you get holy discontent, this will determine whether it makes you or breaks you, blesses you or curses you, whether your life will be worthwhile or worthless. Right here. The first thing you got to do is seek God. If you have holy discontent, don't just think you've arrived and now I know what the problem is. So, you got to go to the right person for it, and that's God. Last Sunday, we spent a lot of time talking about how do you get alone with God? How do you get that time back with God? If you missed that, I'm not going to go over that again today. <laughs> Some of you were like, amen. Um, but, but go back and listen to that. Very, very important. Okay. Seek God first. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. Then, what did he do? Pay attention to the pattern. He went before God. He didn't say anything. He listens to God for several days. Verse 5, then, circle then. Then what do you do? I said to the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. You want to circle a few words? God of heaven, great, awesome, keeps his covenants of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. How do you get momentum? These are very important words. You know how you don't get momentum? Come to God with your problems first. Because there's a problem here. One of the reasons why some of us don't have momentum, one of the reasons why a lot of us are struggling today is we're going to God, and the first thing we're doing with God is we're telling him our problem. 
as if he doesn't know. Now, it's important to talk to him about our problems, correct? Doesn't it say you have not because you ask not? I get it. I mean, you know, if you ask in my name, anything will be given to you. The problem is we're not asking in his name because we haven't even started. We don't even know who he is. What we're doing is we're wringing our hands at God going, why don't you do something? And he goes, because you have no faith. What Nehemiah does here changes everything. And if you want the power of momentum in your favor in life, here's where it starts. You want to know what it is? Number one, when you pray, pray remembering who God is. Now, does he need to be reminded? No, I think he knows. Okay, He has angels that celebrate him every day. People, Angels that have been there from the beginning of time. Ancient angels that celebrate his presence. He knows who he is. The question is, do you? And you know why we front-end load it with our problem? Because we actually think he doesn't know. (laughs) We actually think he's so small. And it's time that you do what Nehemiah is doing. If you want victory in your life, then you start with this, not how big your problem is, but how big your God is. And the problem with some of us, we need to trade up. you got a really small God that can't do anything. His hands are tied, and, and you're in a situation, and you're so far down. And the reason why you're so far down is you don't believe God can do anything. Can I tell you? Don't think Nehemiah doesn't know. You know, he's lived in exile his entire life. You think he's seen miracles? No. But he believes. Maybe that's you. And when you realize who God is and he makes himself real to you, you will realize that you have a big God that can change everything. And as you read the book of Nehemiah, you're going to see a God that changes everything, not only for him, but for you. And if he did it for Nehemiah, he can do it for you. That's what I believe. He can do it for John. He can do it for you. Okay? It's the way it works. If you'll do what Nehemiah did. And number one, you've got to remember who God is. Verse six, let your ear be attentive to your, your eyes, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant who is praying before you this day and night. For your servant and the people of Israel. So he's praying before him and he's talking about Israel. And here's where prayer could go wrong, but Nehemiah shows us how to pray. Okay? When you're bringing your problem before God, then it starts right here. I confess, circle that word confess. I confess the sins we. If there is one thing I would ask the church to circle, it's this word right here. Because the reason why the church is ineffective is this right here. We don't pray this way. I pray for them. Nehemiah is a great leader. You want to know why? Because he uses this word. I confess Not what this country's problem is. I confess that we Israelites, he's one of them. You know what church is? (laughs) We've gotten so far away from Christ that all of a sudden it's us and them. Those people out there as if they're not part of us. You get it? No wonder the church isn't blessed anymore. Because we forgot this. But if you do what Nehemiah did, you will get what Nehemiah got. And he confessed his sins. We Israelites, including what? Including myself. I have bought into the culture. The culture has gotten into me. I have become like Persia. I have become apostate. I have become these problems. It isn't just them. I have a part to play in this. And my father's family have committed against you. You know what he does? Number two, number one, he remembers who God is. Number two, he remembers who he is, and he confesses the wrong. He's going, there's something wrong here. We're not thinking straight, and for the last few days I've been mourning and crying in pain, but the truth is the judgment that you gave us was right. And that doesn't just include everybody, it means me too. I'm one of them. See, it's hard to be a patriot when you're not part of it. 
There ain't no patriots that live in other countries. You get the picture? You live right here among us. And the lives that will be changed in this country, if you want this country to be changed, you want this city to be changed, you want this county to be changed, you want Windsor, you want your family to, it starts with you and not separation, but start talking about we. You want your marriage put back together, it's not the, uh, me and you, it's we. And if you got a problem, i got a problem. And the day you understand that, then you're married. The day you don't understand that, I don't care what certificates you have, you're not living like you're married because it's you and me. It isn't you and me, it's we. That's it. If you've got a problem, i got one. You want to be right, you want to be married. <laughs> That's good advice, right? Huh? You want to be right, you shouldn't have got married because that ain't how it works. Because if you've got a problem, I do. We're one. You get the idea? <laughs> we. And the day the church grasps it, you know what the problem is? The church doesn't think of itself as part of America. The church stopped praying for what it needs to change and, and looking at sinners and going, we're not like them, thank God, let's just stay together until Jesus comes and God going, that's why I'm not blessing you anymore. You wonder why the United States of America is not being blessed? It isn't the country's problem, it's the church problem. Because we stop being we. And when we stop being we and we start being us, get the idea? When we stop being me and them, when we start being we, then this country could change. And if it doesn't, it's our fault. Okay. I could go on <laughs> a while longer. Confess. Confess what's wrong. And he goes on, verse 7. We have acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees, the laws you gave your servant Moses. See what he's doing? We. We haven't. We didn't do this. I haven't. We, you didn't. We, we did this together. We messed up. Verse 8. I'm one of you. You get the idea? Verse 8. Remembering the instructions... You gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Now all of a sudden, as confession takes place, the word of God is remembered. The word of God is remembered. The promises that God gave Moses are remembered. Now that's not the promise you want to remember, right? (laughs) We would love to water that down. So when you're unfaithful, he's going to scatter you among the nations. That's why we have a problem. He's remembering God's word. So number number one, you got to remember who God is. Number two, you got to confess what's wrong. Number three, you got to start to claim God's promises. Now, this, this means promises even when you don't like them. There's judgment because we got a problem. It doesn't end there, though, okay? Claim God's promises. Nehemiah remembers, hey, he said we would be scattered. You know what he's doing? He's quoting scripture. You may not know it, but I'll tell you which one it is in just a minute. Verse 9, but, this is so important. If you miss this but, then you're going, hey, this is all devastation. Can I tell you something? Some churches just love to preach judgment and condemnation, and they forget this but. It's really bad when you forget this but, because you're missing half the equation. Really. And a lot of people are, because God's going to bring judgment, and God hates us, and God hates everybody that's a sinner. No, 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 no. He, yes, there's wrong, but this changes everything, but... Here's where he remembers. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled people, anybody exiled today? Anybody outside, you're going, hey, church can't accept me. God can't accept me. I can't even accept me. And he's going, but if even if you're exiled to the furthest horizon, even if your life is as low down as you can get, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. That may not mean much to you, but the next verse that I say probably will. What he's quoting here is a scripture. He's remembering what happened on the day that they built the temple. 
there was a reminder when, when, when Solomon had, in the Shekinah glory of God, entered the temple. Solomon got up and he read. He had, he had the books of the law read from Moses. And he, and he read these things and these promises that God had. And they said, hey, there's going to come a day. Today is an incredible day. But there may come a day when you turn your back on God. And then when it happens, he's going to scatter you all throughout. You're not, not going to live here anymore. You'll be slaves to other nations. And they're going, I can't believe this is going to happen. But it did. But when that day comes, you know what I want you to do? If my people, is what it says in First Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. If my people. You see what the problem in the church is? We've been using that verse all wrong. We're going, I, I think the president of the United States should say he should humble himself and pray. Well, that would be nice. But that's not what the verse is talking about. It's not talking about the government will do that. It's talking about the people of God. If we do it, then the nation will be blessed. We're not blessed because we're not praying that way anymore. And the day we start praying that way, then God will gather us back. Then we will have momentum. You see where I'm going? You see where it's going for you? This is a promise. You see, this verse started with what? It started with trouble. You're going, oh, that's nice, John, but you're really reading a lot into an Old Testament passage of Scripture. No, no, this isn't one obscure passage. This is the story of the Bible. This is a pattern to follow in your life. Every great vision starts with holy discontent. Every great vision starts with trouble. You know what it said? That's why I had you circle it. At the very beginning, it's as if he's reading or Jesus is reading from the book of Nehemiah when he comes to preach. And, and when he says, you know what you saw and your dreams got dashed and now you have trouble and disgrace. Didn't Jesus say that in John? He said, in this world you have, you will have trouble. Is that a quote from Nehemiah? Maybe. Maybe it's a quote from all over because every great leader I've ever seen used, every great movement that God's ever used, it started with trouble. And somehow as Christians, this is why you're stuck, because you didn't realize that God wants to use that to bring about amazing change. But it starts here. But because you're sitting right where you're at, it's very hard, see? That's why it starts with God, God's vision. You start with you. See what me and Nehemiah didn't do? He didn't start strategizing first. He didn't start doing things first. Too many Christians do that. Oh, I got this one, God. I know what the problem is, so I know the solution. No, you don't. I'm going to do this all by myself. I'm going to go do this weird thing by myself. I've got it. I've got this one taken care of. And if everybody would just follow me, (laughs) this is stupid, right? God's like, I know what you need. You need to come to me for vision. I don't need your idea for the day. I'm the God of the universe. Did you know I placed you right where you are? And all of a sudden, as Nehemiah starts to hear from God, as Nehemiah starts to do this thing, remembering who God is, right? As he starts to remember who God is, as he starts to to admit, hey, I did some things that are wrong, and this is why we're here. And then as he starts to claim God's word, something else comes back to him. Pay attention to what happens next, verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by the great strength and mighty hand. That's what you did back then. Lord, let, the ear, let, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who delights in revering your name. See, there it is again, his name. You remember who God is? He keeps doing it. This is who God is. That's why Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, have you forgot who he is? 
I hear a lot of asking, but not much in his name. You get the picture. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. That's when he, that's, this is when momentum started in the life of Nehemiah. You see it? Up till then, he was in devastation. But right here is where as he remembers who God is, as he confesses what's wrong and got him into this situation in the first place. As he is going back through and he goes, I remember what God did for Moses and I remember what God did for Solomon and I remember what God did and if he could do it for them, he could do it for me. Now all of a sudden it comes full circle and now he's talking about himself. What do you want to do with me? And God is going, that's what I want. That's what all this was about. That's why I didn't tell you in advance, because I wanted you to go back through all that to come to this place to all of a sudden realize that maybe God has been orchestrating things all along. You see, you're not thinking you can do anything, but you know who you are, Nehemiah? (laughs) You're the cupbearer of the king. And God wants you to, number four, realize your part in his plan. When you pray, you need to pray about my part in God's plan. Please do not miss any of those words. They're very important, each one of them. My part, but not just your part. See, the problem with a lot of Christians are, they're talking about their part. And as soon as they realize, oh, I got a part, they start running with their part. And they do very strange things, and they do very things that don't include everybody else. And God is saying, you need unity to make this work. And the only way that's going to work is when I'm orchestrating and I say, you play it now. And he's going, Nehemiah, I have brought you to this point at this time. And you see this great crisis. I could have changed the crisis. Oh, I could have built the walls in Israel. I could have called down fire from heaven. But I want to use you. You're going to be part of my plan, Nehemiah. And he's going, i got to talk to the king. The king has everything we need. Now understand this. We're going to talk more about this next week. That's not an easy task, see? When God is calling you to something great like this, let me tell you something, God is going to ask you to risk everything. Because Nehemiah is risking his life. You don't go before the king and ask him for nothing. Your job is to make the king happy. You're his slave. And Nehemiah just realized, oh, I see my part. Oh, I see what your plan is, God. And I see we're going to need some help from this king. And you put me here for this. (laughs) That was a realization for the life of Nehemiah. I need to tell you how, how the story ends, and I know it's kind of weird to tell that. It's kind of anticlimactic for the rest of the series. Very important, though. Nehemiah's job was to build a wall. That's it. And you're like, that's what you want us to do? No. I want you to understand why he built the wall. He built the wall so they couldn't destroy the temple. He built the wall so the nation of Israel could come back and flourish and be there. And in 400 years from the time of Nehemiah, you know what happened? A child was born. (laughs) You see, we're thinking so small. And the problem for the church and the problem for our country and the problem with a lot of Christians, including myself, is I see my little part in this and I don't see the bigger picture. And God is going, I want to open up your blinders. You're building this wall for what? Just for that country? No. No. So there will be a Christ that will come and he'll walk down the streets of Jerusalem. And one day, right close to the place where that's at, you can even see it from there, is a, is a hill 
where he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. (laughs) And Nehemiah, he came from those people. So now you understand that the salvation of the world rests. That Nehemiah got to play a part in that. Let me tell you something today. If he can do it for him, he can do it for you. If he can do it back then, he can do it now. You believe that? All momentum starts with God. And God shows you what's wrong first. And then he's expecting you not to run with it. And the problem is too many Christians are grabbing it and they're running with it. You know what the problem with this church is? We grab it and we ran with it some. (laughs) And we lost a little momentum. You know what the problem with this country? We ran with it a long time. And we've lost momentum. You know what the problem in your life is? (laughs) You don't want me to say it, do you? You're trying to run with it. You're trying to run with your life. And if you do, and you start here, and you start to pray like God, and he shows you your problem, and you go, you know what? If you could do it for Nehemiah, you might do it for me. He could change your world. Guys, we got an incredible plan this year. We're going to pull up the next slide for Easter. You know anybody that needs God in their life? You know anybody that's so far away from you, you go, they'll never come into the church. You know any family members that your heart breaks for, that you just go, I wish they could be here. I wish they could grasp it. I wish. That's going to be Easter this year. It's coming in seven weeks. And we want to invite them, and I want you to serve, and we're going to share an incredible plan that is going to change and revolutionize the life of this church. On Easter Sunday, more people are going to give their life to Christ, I believe it, with all my heart than any other time we've ever had. I believe it. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I'll come back to this again. And I want to tell you all these plans and I have it in me and it's burning inside to go, here's what we're going to do. But if we don't start here, then let's not do that. Okay? Let's not do here if we don't start here. Really. Because I believe this. Not one person will ever come to faith in Christ without God. And you know what the problem is? We're not so humble. We haven't really been going to God. We go, we got a great idea. Or we're angry with God, and we're coming at him all wrong. And the place that's got to start today is this, is that we bring our problems, and we bring the people, and we start with ourselves, and we go, God, I don't know how to do this. And he's going, thank you. That's what I've been waiting for. You know how long he waited for Moses to say that? Forty years. You see, we read the scriptures all wrong, and we look at the day that Moses goes, you can't use me as the day that Moses lacked faith. No, 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 that's the day God wanted. Because for the first time, you might have faith in a God instead of yourself. And somebody here today needed to hear that because you go, I lack momentum. My momentum has went down, and I don't know what to do. And God is going, that's exactly what I want. Because for the first time, you can reach out to me, and I have the answer. And I don't need you to keep telling me how big your problem is. (laughs) I need to see how big your God is. See? And when you focus on God, you know what? your problems are going to get real small. Fear will leave your life. When you change your focus from your problems to God, and here's the problem, it's easy to forget when you're in the crisis. Isn't that right? And that's why we come back here today. You want momentum in the life of this church? You want momentum in the life of this country? You want to see this country change? It starts right here. Your part in God's plan. Your part, not in your plan, okay? Your part 
in God's plan and it will change the world. Let's stand for prayer. Father, I come before you today and sometimes I feel inadequate when it comes to this. Lord, sometimes I feel like a butcher for your word. (laughs) I just butcher the pieces out of it. But I pray you can use that today. I pray it doesn't get lost in translation or through the person communicating it. But today, God, I pray you speak to the heart because I know that I need it. And I know there's people here that need to hear you today, God. They have lost the momentum. God, if we're real honest, our church has lost its momentum. If we were real honest, our country has lost its momentum. I don't think that's hard for us to say. The hardest part, though, is when we say, and it's our fault because the church has lost its momentum because we forgot about God. And we keep coming to you and we keep coming together and we keep telling you how big our problems is. And you say, just one time, I wish you would just say, you know what, but God's got this. You know what, yeah, there's big problems in the world, but take heart because Jesus has got this. You know what, I know lost family members, I know people in the community that don't know Christ, but you know what, God's got this. And if we would come together and pray, I believe this, everything else will work out. Because if we're truly hearing from you, then, then you have the answers. And when you tell us, it'll be just like we hear next week where there are things for us to do. And there's high-risk things for us to do because what Nehemiah did was risky, Lord. And I pray, God, that we do not become a place that's risk-adverse, but that we will, our greatest risks will be in the future when we've listened to you. I hope we don't risk without you, God. I pray for the person that desperately needs you today. I pray for the one that walked through the door and they go, you know what, <laughs> I was about, I don't even know why I came. But maybe they needed to hear there's a God that loves them and cares about them. And if they'll only turn to them, you could change their whole life. You may not even change their circumstances, but you'll do something far better, which is to change their life even in their circumstances. We're praying to a big God today. (laughs) We're praying to a, a God who sent his one and only son to die for us. And somehow we forgot We're praying to a God who rose from the dead to show he had all authority and power. And we pray to a God that said in Ephesians, Lord, that the same power that it took to raise Christ from the dead is available to us. And we don't have it because the problem is we're trying to use that power without you, and it don't work. And I pray today, God, for this church that we'll shift our focus to you. I don't know what will happen when that happens, but I know this. I want to find out. Please, God, help us to be that. We pray you receive all the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.